0: And good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest edition of Sharing the Victory, a program sponsored by the WVU chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Website, WVUFCA.org. And the WVUFCA campus director, Kirby Myers, is with us on this Sunday. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Good morning, morning, Kyle. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's a rather ominous anniversary, or close to it. Yeah.
1: Going to talk a little bit today about uh, Kobe Bryant two years ago. It's hard to believe it's been two years. That, it is hard to believe. Yeah.
0: All the uh, all the tributes that followed after his untimely passing, unfortunately, with one of his young daughters and a lot of other people. But I remember where I was that day. I'm sure yeah, most people do. I
1: think so. I think we all do. So thanks for that lead in. And uh, I want to talk today about um, how you can learn a lot from a thief. And really I want to talk about five things every. Christian, every believer should know. And I'll be in Luke chapter 23 today, and I'll read that passage here in just a moment. But it was just over two years ago. It was January 26th of 2020 when Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and seven other people were killed in that helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. It was absolutely shocking news. If you remember, the night before LeBron James had passed Kobe Bryant and became the third time all our third all-time leading scorer in NBA history. And I read the tweet on that Sunday morning from Kobe congratulating LeBron on passing him for third place, and we would later learn that the two actually talked on the phone that Sunday morning just hours before Kobe's death. I had just taught from the Gospel of Mark that Sunday afternoon. I was helping out at a Korean church in Elkridge, Maryland, and after I got done teaching, I sat down and one of the young people said to me as I sat down, Kobe died. And I said, what do you mean he died? Are you talking about his reaction to being passed by LeBron James? And he said, no, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. And I didn't believe it at first. Maybe you didn't either. The The timing just didn't make sense. And I was really skeptical when I learned that it was TMZ first reporting the news. But then I began to get notifications on my phone from ESPN and CNN and Fox News. You probably remember what you were doing when you heard the news, uh, especially if you were under the age of 30 and you like sports because Kobe Bryant was your generation's Michael Jordan. I'm 51 years old and I cannot remember the death of an athlete or a former athlete having as great of an impact in our nation and in our world than the death of Kobe Bryant, I had several um, one-on-one meetings that week uh, following with Navy athletes when I was at the Naval Academy, and I asked every one of these young men what they were doing when they heard the news, and they all told me the same thing, that they did not believe it when they first heard it. How could this happen to Kobe Bryant and to his 13-year-old daughter? Kobe was only 41 years old. And I was talking with one of those Navy athletes that week, and we talked about the fact that life is a vapor, that it is here today and it is gone tomorrow, that we are only promised today, that we are destined to die once and then to face judgment, and that most people don't think that much about their own mortality. We also talked about the fact that neither of us knew Kobe or his spiritual condition, but that if he and the others knew that their helicopter was going to crash— and most likely result in their death, they could have called out to Jesus for salvation in those final moments and received the forgiveness of their sins and everlasting life. And then my friend Eli that I was meeting with asked me this question. He said, What does someone need to know in order to have forgiveness and everlasting life? Well, I answered him by giving him an outline from Luke 23, and the outline and message that I would like to share with you today. Five things that the thief recognized while being crucified next to the Lord Jesus Christ, and five things that we must all know and recognize as well. So we're in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. The first thing that this thief recognized, he recognized that Jesus was God. Look at verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? In verse 33 of this chapter, we learn that there were two criminals that were crucified with Jesus, one on the left and one on the right. The gospel writers tell us that the crucifixion of these three men began at 9 a.m., and Matthew and Mark in their gospels both tell us that These criminals or robbers or thieves were mocking Jesus at the beginning, joining the chief priests and the scribes and the elders by saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself, he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Here we see one of them saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But by this time, the other thief is no longer participating in this mockery. In verse 40, we read that the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God? Well, something happened during this crucifixion in the heart of this repentant thief. And let me tell you what happened. There is only one explanation. God changed his heart. God, by his grace, because he is rich in love, because he is abundant in mercy— reached down and took this man's heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh and enabled this vile criminal to see that he was not being crucified next to an ordinary man. He was being crucified next to God himself, God incarnate, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And that is exactly who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh. Jesus claimed to be God throughout his entire ministry, In John chapter 5, Jesus said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this reason, the Jews were seeking to kill him because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the father are one. And we read the reaction in verse 31, The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and they did this because they believed he was committing blasphemy. Saying, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Friends, this repentant thief recognized who Jesus was. He recognized that Jesus was God, and so must we. Jesus must be God because only God can forgive sin, and Jesus claimed to forgive the sin of others time and time again. If Jesus is not God, He did not have the power to forgive sin, and that would make him a liar, which would mean that he is not our perfect sacrifice, and therefore he did not atone for our sins, and we would have no hope. But Jesus is God, and you must believe that he is God to have your sins forgiven and to have eternal life. The second thing he recognized, he recognized that he was a sinner deserving death. Verse 40, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds? This is amazing. This man recognized something that most people do not, that he was a sinner and that he deserved to die. I love his recognition here of his own sin and depravity. This is no ordinary criminal. He is more than just a thief or a robber. This man is most likely a murderer, part of the insurrection with Barabbas, if you've heard that name before. And that is why he is being put to death by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. This man is saying something like this, hey, we are murderers, and the punishment for our crime is death, death by crucifixion, and today we are getting what we deserve. Oh that all of us listening today would come to that realization, oh that every sinner we encounter would come to that realization that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I have talked to people who before who claim that they have never sinned <laughs> or who do not believe in the concept of sin or who will not admit that they have sinned but or who will admit that they have sinned but not as bad as other people but not this man. He is bleeding to death. He is fighting hard not to suffocate. And while facing this awful and brutal death, his eyes are open to the weight of his own sin. He understands that it is because of his sin that he is being condemned. He understands that the punishment that he is facing is a just punishment. And he understands that he is getting exactly what he deserves. Friends, we must all come to this realization, and if you have not yet, today would be a great day to do so. Because as Kobe Bryant found out just two years ago today, or just two years ago, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is no one who does good, no one who understands, no one who seeks after God that our sins separate us from God so that he cannot hear us, and that the wages of sin is death, and that it is appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment, and that those who die apart from Jesus Christ will suffer in a place called hell for all eternity. So have you come to this understanding in your own life? Do you understand that you have sinned against a holy and perfect God? Do you understand that your sins have separated you from him? Do you understand that if you were to die right now, you would go to hell, and that you would get exactly what you deserve for your deeds? We must all come to this point, and this is the message that we must share with a lost and dying world. People will not see their need to be saved until they understand they are lost. People will not see their need to be made alive until they understand they are dead. And people will not see their need to be at peace with God until they understand that they are presently at war with God. Thirdly, the third thing that this thief recognized, he recognized that Jesus was a perfect man. In the last part of verse 41, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. This is incredible because this is the third man in about a 12-hour period to recognize that Jesus was innocent. Pilate, if you're familiar with the Passion Week and the crucifixion story, Pilate is the Roman procurator or governor of Judea. He is the one who has been placed in charge, and he is the one who approves and executes death, and that death is by crucifixion. And so the chief priests and the rulers of Israel had brought Jesus to him. Pilate examined him fully. And as we read here in Luke 23, he found no guilt in Jesus. Pilate even had Jesus sent to King Herod, king of Judea, who examined him as well and sent him back to Pilate, having observed that nothing deserving death has been done by him. Pilate was ready to release Jesus, to let him go free, for he had done nothing wrong. In verse 20, we read that Pilate wanted to release him. And in verse 22, Pilate said to them the third time, I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Pilate examined him and knew that he was innocent. Herod examined him and knew that he was innocent. And now we have this thief on the cross who was guilty, who knew that he was guilty, who is getting exactly what he deserved, Observe that the man he is being crucified next to is innocent, perfect, and sinless. Well, there would be one more man who would recognize and declare that Jesus was innocent. It was one of the Roman soldiers, one of the men in charge of his execution. If you look down in verse 47, it says, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Four men in a 12-hour period recognized that Jesus was an innocent man, that he was blameless, that he was perfect, that he was sinless. This is nothing short of amazing. But let me play a little devil's advocate here. What if these men were wrong? What if they could have been wrong? They didn't grow up with Jesus. They had not observed his 33 years of life. They did not know his secret thoughts and motives. What if Jesus had sinned when he was younger? What if he struggled with pride or with lust? What if he got angry with his brothers? What if he disobeyed his earthly parents? Well, those four men who claim that Jesus was innocent could have been wrong, but God cannot be wrong. And he tells us here in his word, in his God-breathed, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and holy word, that Jesus did not sin one time. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians five twenty one that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Peter tells us in First Peter one twenty one to twenty two, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. John tells us in 1 John 3, 5, You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And finally, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Those four men could have been wrong, but God cannot be wrong. And he tells us over and over in his word, through the men that he inspired and superintended to write his word, that Jesus did not sin, not one time. Jesus never had a lustful look. He never had an evil thought. He never told a lie, not even a white lie. He never had a prideful moment, and he never disobeyed his earthly parents. Jesus went to the cross as our sinless substitute. He is the perfect Lamb of God without sin or blemish. We read in Scripture that God saw the sacrifice of his one and only Son, and he was satisfied. The Bible tells us that it pleased God. It pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to death because he was the perfect Lamb of God that God sent to take away the sins of the world. Friend, you must believe and I must believe that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, that Jesus and Jesus alone did this. Christian, You and I must tell others about the sinless Savior, about the only man to have ever lived a perfect life. And we need to defend this. We need to declare this, and we must be willing to die for this truth. If Jesus sinned just one time, we have no hope. We would still be in our sins, and we would all be on our way to hell. I believe the Bible And I believe that the sinless Son of God bore our sin in his body on the tree, and by his stripes we are made whole, healed from the disease of sin. The fourth thing this thief recognized, he recognized that Jesus would overcome death. In verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I am so thankful for Luke and for his gospel This is the only gospel that includes this conversation that takes place between this repentant thief and Jesus. I am so glad we can read of this account. These words from the repentant thief are shocking and stunning when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. These are amazing words. Why are they amazing words? Because no one survived a crucifixion. If you lived in or around Jerusalem and you saw someone coming through the city carrying their cross on the way to Golgotha, you knew and understood that they were not coming back. Friend, no one endured and overcame this brutal and horrific type of execution. The Romans had a 100% success rate. Everyone who was crucified on a cross died there were no survivors. The Romans made sure of it. These two thieves knew that they were not going to survive this execution. They knew that Jesus was not going to survive this execution. All three of them were going to die. But this repentant thief saw something in Jesus. He saw that this was no ordinary man. This was the God-man. This was a man who was fully God and fully man. This was the perfect Savior. This thief understood that although Jesus would indeed die physically, he would also live again. He would overcome death and he would rise again. And so he calls out to him saying, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you are reunited with your Father in heaven. Well, Jesus could have answered this question in many ways. He could have said, Oh, I'm sorry, my friend, but you are not worthy of heaven. You have sinned too much. Or murder is the unforgivable sin, and you are a murderer. Or it's too late. I'm sorry. There are no deathbed conversions. Or he could have said, I'm sorry, but you've never been baptized. You've never joined the local church. You've never worn a Christian t-shirt or sung along to Chris Tomlin or Lauren Daigle. You cannot go to where I am going because you have not done any good works. He could have said, friend, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I tried, but I'm about to die. It's over for me. But Jesus didn't say any of those things. Look at verse 43. And he said to him in response, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. I love this for so many reasons. It serves as an important example that we are saved by faith and by faith alone. It shows us that no one man's sin is greater than the grace of Almighty God. It shows us the amazing love and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who although he was dying a brutal death, even though he was sinless, although he could have been thinking about himself and how the Father had turned his back on him for becoming the sin of the world, Jesus still had enough grace in him in these final moments to atone for this man's sin and grant him forgiveness and everlasting life. What a beautiful picture and display of the gospel. Jesus did not tell him, "'Sorry, I am finished,' but he would declare the word tetelestai from the cross, meaning it is finished. He would answer him, "'Yes,' I will remember you indeed. Today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise, in heaven, with my Father. The thief recognized that Jesus would overcome death, and he did. The Bible tells us that Jesus died and that he was buried, but that on the third day he rose again, that he appeared to many over a 40 day period, including 500 brethren at one time that after 40 days he ascended back to heaven where he now sits at God's right hand, preparing a place for us and interceding for us, and that he will come again a second time to receive all who have placed their faith and trust in him. Friends, we must tell others that Jesus not only died, but that he rose again and that he lives today. I love that old hymn, we sing it, Around Easter time, he lives, he lives. The words, I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Finally, this thief recognized that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Back to verse 42, we see that he says, and he was saying, Jesus. Now here's a little fun fact. I may have shared this with you before, but this is the only man in Scripture to simply address Jesus by his first name. Others came to Jesus and called him appropriate titles like Rabbi, Good Teacher, Messiah, Son of David, Lord. There is no doubt that Mary and Joseph would have addressed their son as Jesus. That's what they were commanded to name him, as well as his brothers and sisters. But this man is the only man in recorded Scripture to address him as Jesus, Yeshua. And there is meaning to his name. His name means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh saves. This thief was dying. He was in need of salvation. He needed to be saved. And so he calls out to the one who came to bring salvation. He calls out to the one who is salvation. Jesus would say these words in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The thief recognized that Jesus was the only way to heaven, that Jesus was the only way of salvation, that no one else could save him, that no one else could forgive him of his sin, that no one else could give him eternal life. And we must all come to this realization as well, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I have a friend named Sherman Smith. I met him in 1994 when I was working for FCA in Illinois. He was the running backs coach at that time at the University of Illinois, a strong believer in Jesus Christ. Sherman Smith was a running back in his playing days and played in the the NFL for eight seasons uh, with the Seattle Seahawks and the uh, San Diego Chargers, now the LA Chargers. And he told me the story many years ago that Sherman and his teammates were traveling back from an NFL game And the pilot of the plane came on the intercom, letting everyone know on the plane that their landing gear was not working and that they would have to make an emergency landing. And so they were told to brace for impact. And he said everyone started praying out loud, calling out to the Lord. Guys were making deals with God, these NFL players. And they were saying things like, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will serve you the rest of my life. And I wish you could hear him tell the story because he says... They were not calling out to Buddha, and they were not calling out to Muhammad. They were calling out to Jesus, the name above all names, the name that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, Jesus is the only way to heaven. There are not many ways to God. There are not many paths to eternal life. There is one way, and that is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. For only Jesus was born of a virgin, Only Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. Only Jesus atoned for sinners. Only Jesus rose again for your justification and mine. And only Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. There is one seat at God's right hand, and it is occupied by Jesus alone. Are you trusting him today? Have you placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone? Today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Life is a vapor. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. So don't think that you have all the time in the world, that you will just come to Jesus when you are good and ready, or that you will have an opportunity to be crucified next to Jesus one day, just like this thief, because that is not going to happen. Two years ago on a Sunday morning, I was working at the Naval Academy, and one of our midshipmen, his name was Duke Cirillo, was running. He was a sophomore. He was running the the PRT, the physical readiness test, running a mile and a half that they had to do every semester. And this young man who was in good shape had a heart attack, collapsed, and was pronounced dead at the hospital. He was 21 years old, and they buried him in Annapolis the following Friday. What a great reminder that today is the day of salvation, and so trust Jesus today while it is still called today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible narrative, this conversation that took place between Jesus and this repentant thief. Thank you that even in his final hours, he could reach out and call on the mercy of God and be saved and be forgiven of all of his sin. Lord, may we know that today is the day of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: I uh, I take it that that plane landed.
1: It did. Sherman Smith was fine, and
0: uh, everybody else was fine. Yeah,
1: and I, I'm not sure that all those guys followed through <laughs> on their uh, commitments. To, you know, to to I, serve you know God what? the rest of their days. I bet
0: some of them did. Yeah, probably so. Probably which so. Which is which is okay. Yeah, which is uh, good. I mean, you hate to have something like that happen, but um, I bet I have a feeling some of them. Did. A real wake up call for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great story, great message from Kirby Myers campus director of the WVU FCA and uh, you can get more from him learn more about the staff WVU FCA Kirby and uh, Teresa Igono. we encourage you to go to the website wvufca.org to learn more and on this Sunday morning this is Sharing the Victory a program sponsored by the West Virginia University chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes on 104.5 FM 1440 AM WAJR.